Amen. Verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 4, where we find ourselves this morning. God's word says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now there was an old gentleman by the name of General Oglethorpe, who once came to John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher, and said, I can never forgive, and I never forget. To which John Wesley replied to him, Then, sir, I hope that you never sin. You see, we live in a fallen world, and forgiveness is essential if we're going to maintain close relationships with one another. We all need forgiveness, and we all need to grant forgiveness. Because we all sin, and we've all been sinned against. But asking for and granting forgiveness is not easy. And the truth is, the deeper that you have been hurt, the more difficult it is to truly forgive. And I recognize that there are some who carry hurts, Right from childhood days, I know that there are some who have been betrayed by those that they cared for and loved deeply, and these kinds of wrongs are not easy to forgive. I do understand that. I understand that completely. But I also believe that if you are a Christian, then seeking and granting forgiveness are not optional. In fact, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15 that if we do not forgive others, then our heavenly Father will not forgive us. Here's what he said. If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I know there's a lot of uh, things we could probably say about that verse, about its context and its application, but in the broad sense... These are serious words. And the Lord Jesus said, If we do not forgive men their trespasses, then neither will our Heavenly Father forgive our trespasses. And no matter how we might want to explain that verse or explain it away, I know for certainty that none of us want to miss out on the Father's forgiveness. The Lord Jesus said that forgiving others is so important, especially if you're coming to worship God. And he gave the illustration of one who's come to worship God and then remembers that his brother has something against him. The Lord said that he should first go and be reconciled to his brother and then come back and worship the Lord. You can read of that in Matthew chapter 5, the verses 23 and 24. So it's vital for us as Christians to, to grapple with our understanding and our practice of forgiveness. Paul, throughout this chapter of Ephesians 4, has been showing us specific ways we are to put off the old man and to put on the new man, which he says, after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now look at verse 31 as a, as a summary of all that he's talked about through the, the verses that follow. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking 
be put away from you with all malice. And then he says, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so I want to focus this morning on this idea of, of being forgiven and being forgiving. How we can experience the forgiveness of God and then how we in turn might forgive others. So let's begin with the question, what is meant by forgiveness? What does it mean to ask for forgiveness? And what does it mean to forgive someone? And I think we need to start here because there's a great deal of misunderstanding. Um, Jay Adams, some of you may be familiar with some of his books uh, on Christian counseling and such things. But he makes the argument that we have replaced uh, seeking forgiveness and forgiving one another with apologizing. We apologize instead of seeking forgiveness. And he points out there's not a single reference in all of the scriptures to apologizing. It's an unbiblical concept because he says it allows the wrongdoer to tell you how he feels. I am sorry. But there's no acknowledgement of sin. And it certainly doesn't ask the one who has been sinned against to grant forgiveness. He goes on to point out that biblical forgiveness does not simply mean accepting the other person in their sin. Condoning their sin. And he, he puts forth a, a conversation that goes something like this. I'm sorry for what I did. And the other person says, hey, no problem, don't worry about it. We all make mistakes. So there was no acknowledgement of sin in the first place. And there was no confession of sin. And there was no forgiveness of it. Because in biblical forgiveness, the wrongdoer admits, I sinned against you. And they ask, will you now forgive me? And the one who's wronged must take that into account and offer them for the forgiveness for which they've asked. That's very different from someone saying, I'm sorry, and the other person saying, hey, don't worry about it. We are to forgive one another, even as we're told, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Did God say to you, hey, don't worry about your sin, we all make mistakes? He didn't do that. He didn't brush our sin aside. Our sin renders us truly guilty before God's holy justice. We have violated his holy law and the penalty of such violation is death. No excuses. No alternatives. So God in love sent his only begotten son into this world to be the substitution for you and I to bear the penalty that we deserved. He didn't just say, hey, just forget about it. We'll, we'll, we'll just not mention it anymore. He sent his son to bear the penalty price that was rightfully ours. And if we lay hold then by faith on Jesus Christ, then God graciously and totally forgives our debt on the basis that it has been dealt with by the death of his son. 
And on that basis, he releases us from our guilt and forgives us our sin. And he promises then not to remember those sins against us, not to bring them up against us when we come to that day of judgment. We can be glad in that day when we stand before God, that day when the books are opened, that when it comes to the account of our life and the sins that we have committed, that they're all gone. Paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. And God has, remember, has, has decreed that he will remember them no more. And when we work from this basis, then we find that forgiveness then is a decision that we make. It involves a decision, a deliberate decision. You may not be familiar with the name of Clara Barton, but she was the founder of the American Red Cross. And on one occasion, she had a friend who reminded her uh, of an especially cruel thing that someone had done against her many years before. And yet when she was pushed upon the subject, Clara Barton said, I don't recall that. Don't you remember, her friend said, that that person did that terrible thing against you? She says, no, I distinctly remember then I forgot all about it. You see, you see, forgiveness is that conscious decision to drop the whole offence and to let it go. To release the offender from the guilt of their sin. That's what God did with you and I. And when the gavel falls in his courtroom, he will declare for all to hear, not guilty. Case dismissed. The one who was the guilty sinner before him who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ no longer bears their guilt. It is no longer held to their account. The Lord will remember them no more. And we are released. So when God says he will not remember our sins anymore, we point to verses such as Hebrews 8 and verse 12. For the Lord says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. He repeats the same in Hebrews 10 and verse 17. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And it doesn't mean that God has developed this, a, a case of amnesia. Rather, he means that he will not bring up our offenses against us in the future. We do not have to fear standing before him that we will be there in all of our guilt because our condemnation has been dealt with in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, to forgive someone is to make that decision that you will not bring up the matter against them and use it against them sometime in the future. You see it happen often in arguments where we have supposedly forgiven someone for what they've done in the past, but the next time there's an argument, the whole thing gets dragged up again and you find that it hasn't been forgotten nor forgiven. God, however, says that our sins and our iniquities, he will remember them no more. 
Someone said that when you bury the hatchet, don't leave the handle sticking out of the ground. It's a deliberate decision not to think about the offence. Are we not glad that God in heaven is not rehearsing over our sins every day? Thinking about them, mulling it over? I think for us this is one of the most difficult aspects of forgiveness, especially when the wrong against us can be so serious. To actually decide to remember the past wrongs and to never bring them up again. To deliberately direct our thoughts to other things, such as how much God has forgiven us, and choosing rather than to dwell on the offense, that if we have promised to forgive, then we will doing our very best to accomplish that. And I know what you're thinking. That's not easy. Of course it's not easy. Don't say it was going to be easy. But with God's grace and with God's help, that's what we've decided that we want to do. We want to be followers of God. We want to do unto others as he has done unto us. Of course it's not easy. God can do it, but we can't, not in our own strength. But if we have decided that we're going to forgive someone, then we're not going to keep bringing the matter up. We're not going to tell others. We're not going to seek to make the offender pay again and again and again and again and again. That's not forgiveness. We're not trying to evoke sympathy or admiration for others at the offender's expense. When we forgive someone, the matter's gone. And if you thought that was hard, the next bit's even harder. We're to seek to be reconciled to the offender as far as biblically possible. Is not why God forgave us that we might be reconciled to him and enjoy a closer relationship with him? Well, when we forgive others, we should also seek to restore the broken relationship were possible. See, I told you it wasn't easy. That doesn't mean that we become best of friends again, but it, also, it does mean that we seek to be cordial to one another. We don't say to him, I forgive you, but I never want to see you again. That's not how God forgives us. Of course, if the offender doesn't truly repent of their sins, then we can't be reconciled to them anyway. There will be no meaningful relationship. But if they're genuinely, genuinely repentant and we are genuinely trying to forgive them, then we will seek, seek to make steps of reconciliation. But even when that's not possible, as I said, when the offender doesn't truly really repent, there can be no restored relationship. But even then, let's not forget the Lord told us to love our enemies and to do good to them that hate us and bless those who curse us and pray for those that mistreat us. Biblical forgiveness is costly. It's hard. It's difficult. It's so costly it brought about the death of God's only begotten Son. Now, our forgiveness towards others is not likely to cost us anything just quite as much as that. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. And it doesn't mean that it's cheap. I've read stories in recent days of parents who have forgiven the murderer of their 
children. I find that almost incomprehensible how anyone could do that. And then I look at this verse again and we're told to forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And I recognize then that not only is forgiveness costly and difficult and a decision that I have to make day by day, but sometimes our forgiveness is undeserved. When God forgave us, it was on the basis of grace alone. If we had to earn it, it's not forgiveness. If we have to pay or do penance, it's not forgiveness and it's not grace. And yet when God forgives us, he forgives us totally. Are you glad when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? And you read those wonderful words in the scriptures of how the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from some of our sins. No, he says all of our sins. He forgives us all of our sins. Forgiveness is total in the eyes of the Lord. He doesn't forgive some of our sins and then hold us accountable for others. doesn't keep some and stand by to use for leverage against us. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. And so when we come to forgive others, we should seek to do likewise. And rather than saying, I forgive you for this, but I'm not going to forgive you for that, we should seek to be total in our forgiving. We read from Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Where Peter came to the Lord Jesus and asked him a question about the subject of forgiveness. And asked him, how many times should I forgive someone who's done something wrong against me? Seven times? How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Peter probably thought he's been rather generous with that number. To forgive someone seven times is really being quite generous in his way of thinking. The rabbis, for instance, advised only forgiving someone three times. And Peter says, I'll do better than that. I'll double it and add another one for good measure. Seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say unto thee, not seven times, seventy times seven. Peter's probably... Doing some quick calculations, 70 times 7, that's 490 times. Does that mean that he checks off on a list every time he forgives someone? 478, 479, right up to he hits 490 and then he can stop forgiving them? No, the, the Lord Jesus isn't putting a limit on how much we are to forgive someone. Warren Wearsby put it this way, he says, by the time you've forgiven someone... That many times you ought to be in the habit of forgiving and will not need to obey rules and set limits. I think that's what the Lord's saying to Peter. We are to repeatedly forgive. Now, if you're anything like me, you've probably said to people at times past, I'll forgive you this time, but don't let it happen again. Can you imagine if the Lord said that to us? I'll forgive you this time, but that's it. No, the Lord repeats his forgiveness. We come to him again and again with the same faults and the same sins and the same failures. 
and how glad we are that he says or that he, that he doesn't say well that's it that's the last time his forgiveness is complete and repeated and we're glad that the Lord doesn't revoke his forgiveness he doesn't say well you've had your last chance and I'm well I'm just taking it all back again no their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more case dismissed There's nothing to answer for can't be brought up again there's no double jeopardy in the court of God that's what the Bible means by forgiveness so let me ask a second question why should we forgive others and there are many Christian authors who deal with the subject of forgiveness and emphasize the benefits that come to you by forgiving others. And it's true, there are benefits. You can get rid of your bitterness that eats away at your soul. You can enjoy restored relationships with others uh, that brings about other blessings. These are the byproducts of forgiveness. But we ought not to be focusing upon what it does for us, but rather we should be focusing upon the glory that it brings to the Lord. Because you'll notice what Paul says here in verse 32. What is our ultimate motive for forgiving others? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Here's your motivation. Not so you'll feel better about yourself. But that God might be glorified. That's what he's saying. The forgiveness of our sins, according to Ephesians 1 verse 7, is according to the riches of his grace, so that we will be to the praise of his glory. And if someone sees how much you have forgiven someone else and praises you for it, be quick to tell them that I haven't done this for myself, I've done this so that God may be glorified, that I might extend to others some of the forgiveness that God has extended toward me. So it's good for us to remind ourselves just how much God has forgiven us, how much and how often forgiven by his grace, even though we deserve nothing but his judgment, he forgave us and he loves us and he has forgiven us and he has restored us in fellowship to himself and he's given to us much more than we could ever have anticipated. Can you imagine the scene? You're sitting in a, in a theatre or sitting a, in, a, in some great room along with all of the people around you. And the movie's about to start. And you discover that the movie is an unedited, undeleted story of your life. And the soundtrack will contain everything that you've ever said. And the movie will project everything that you've ever thought including all of the things that you'd like to have done if only you thought you could have gotten away with it. Aren't you glad that such a movie doesn't exist? Because God, when he forgives us, has taken that account and cast it into the depths of the sea of his own forgetfulness. He's forgiven us much. And he commands us to forgive others the lesser sins that they've sinned against you and I. Now we need to remember also that God is the sovereign judge over all that happens. He's the righteous judge who's over all. 
And when someone wrongs us, it helps us then to control our anger, and to root out that bitterness, and to make us ready to forgive when we remember that God is in control of all things. I think of Joseph when his brothers sold him into slavery. And he could very easily have become a, a very bitter young man, but instead he chose to forgive his brothers. And yet when his father died, the brothers all came together and they were afraid that now that their father was gone, that Joseph would use his position and his power to get revenge. But instead he acknowledged God's sovereignty and his goodness and he said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. I know we often focus on the verse 20, that you thought it for evil, but God meant it for good. I want you to think about the previous verse, 19. But Joseph said to his brothers, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Am I your judge? I'm not the judge of all the earth. If there's vengeance to be applied, let the Lord deal with it and not me. And while we should not wish for or pray for God to judge our enemies, we should be praying that God might save them, we can yet take comfort in the fact that if they do not repent, that one day they will face justice. And it won't be our justice, it will be God's justice. Because vengeance belongs to the Lord and he will repay. And therefore we are free to forgive. Recognize that that person who has wronged me is just like me. A sinner in need of God's grace. And so I need to be kind and forgiving towards him as God has been kind and forgiving towards me. Which brings me to my last point. How do we demonstrate forgiveness? I don't know that I have a very clear answer to that. I do think there are certain things that are that are important to make distinctions about. There's a distinction that needs to be made, a difference between granting forgiveness and re-establishing trust. When someone sins against us, they destroy our trust in them and in the relationship that we have between us. We can grant forgiveness freely, but trust is earned over time. If a husband is unfaithful to his wife, she may forgive him for his infidelity, but it doesn't mean she's going to trust him. Not in the short term, certainly. And I don't think that's a contradiction. We must demonstrate repentance, but integrity and trust takes time. The forgiveness should be there, but the trust comes later. There's also a distinction to be made. There's a difference between forgiving someone in our hearts and extending that forgiveness to them verbally. We are to forgive as others as God has forgiven us. Well, how does God forgive us? Well, God forgives us, well, well, not apart from repentance and confession of sin. There's no forgiveness without repentance. But God is ready to forgive the very instant that we repent and He's made provision 
so that as sinners, when we repent of our sins, that forgiveness has already been established. So there can be no repent, there can be no forgiveness where there's been no repentance, no outward forgiveness at least. But that doesn't mean that we have to carry a heart of judgment against that other person. We aren't to leave the matter with God. And we must forgive, I trust in our hearts, those who have wronged us, even though we are not able to extend forgiveness to them because they've never yet repented. But we should be like the, the father of the prodigal son, who even though his son had sinned so egregiously against him and was so rebellious towards him, we find the father waiting for the son's return looking upon the horizon for any, any sign of his son's arrival again. And when he comes back, he's able to extend the forgiveness to him that had already taken place in his heart. We should be ready to extend forgiveness the very moment that it's offered. We'll not hold on to that judgment. Paul puts it this way. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be kind, tender-hearted, and ready to extend forgiveness the instant the offender repents. That's what we're looking at. We're not saying, I hope that person gets what's coming to them. We're praying for their forgiveness. And we're ready to forgive them when that repentance is truly demonstrated. And we're probably thinking to ourselves of those that have so grievously sinned against us. And we're thinking, well, I don't feel like forgiving. Wouldn't I be a hypocrite to say that I'd forgive them when really that I haven't? No, we are, to, we are to be more like God in this matter. We are obeying God when he tells us we are to forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. And so we are praying that the Lord might even change our hearts and soften our hearts. While we can't yet offer forgiveness to that person, Lord help us and make us willing to be able to show that repentance towards the offender. Because, you know, as much as we have been sinned against, I suspect we've also been the one who's been responsible for sinning against others. And if we're not going to be able to forgive those who have wronged us, why should we expect those that we have wronged to forgive us? And I trust that we will look at the subject of forgiveness. And as I've said all through this message, I'm not preaching something that's easy, if, there was, if it was easy, there would be no quarrels and there would be no need for forgiveness because we'd already have extended it to one another. But we can, with God's help, learn and seek to forgive one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. And so the Lord has spoken to our hearts this morning about forgiveness, our need to seek for forgiveness for those that we've wronged 
and our need to offer forgiveness to those that have wronged us. I pray that the Lord might grant to us a day of forgiveness in which we seek the forgiveness of those that we've wronged and we offer forgiveness to those that have wronged us. And that we'll not procrastinate. We'll not say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll hold on to this thought of vengeance for just a little while longer. May the Lord be pleased this day to remind us of the many and the great sins that he has forgiven us. Even perhaps when our repentance wasn't as wholehearted as what it should have been. And we went back to the same old sins again and again and without any evidence that we truly changed at all. We need forgiveness and therefore we need to show forgiveness. Just as God in Christ's sake has forgiven us. May the Lord help us with this difficult subject. And may we seek to be more Christ-like in this area of forgiveness. The Lord helping us. Amen.